Lakeshore Records podcast is composer of the epic latest installment in the Underworld series, Underworld Blood Wars. It's Michael Wandmacher. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for asking. So today we are primarily here to talk about the latest installment in the Underworld series, Underworld Blood Wars. And I I have personally been a fan of this series since it first started. You know, there is there is nothing about the series that you cannot enjoy. Vampires, werewolves, big action fights, lots of guns, you know, loud pumping scores. It's it's a fun franchise to be a fan of. Um, so I guess I think Starting off, were you a fan of the franchise before you uh, were brought on to do the score for Blood Wars? Definitely. Uh, I've seen all the prior movies multiple times. Mm. Uh, I was hooked right after the, the first movie. It's it's something that, I like you said, I, it's, there's nothing not to like about it. <laughs> and I, it was great to be involved. I, I mean, it was, I was so thrilled when I got the job because of the fact that I was uh such a fan it's just a cool um set of characters it's a it's a cool advancing storyline there's some interesting lore going on there um it it i I agree with you completely and i definitely was a fan going in were you i mean the underworld series primarily up until uh recently had been scored by paul hasslinger and i'm very familiar with those early underworld scores and listening to Blood Wars, it completely reminded me of, it kind of reminded me actually of the first Underworld movie. You know, it's got that really, it's almost, I don't want to say like symphonic heavy metal, but the use of the strings and how, you know, it's really driving and it pumps you up. It's the kind of album that if I were to ever go to the gym, this is the kind of thing that I would listen to, to, you know, get myself in the zone, as it were. Were you a fan of Paul's original scores? Yeah. Um, it's, it's music that I really like. I mean, Paul's a, a world-class musician and programmer and, 
the the sonic landscapes and ideas that he comes with are first comes up with are first rate mm -hmm. and it's one of the the primary elements of the film uh, for sure and it's it's something that is fun it's funny that you say sort of symphonic heavy metal because when i was writing the score uh, some of those string lines in the basses especially when everything was chugging along uh, during action scenes or transitions that needed a lot of energy things like that i actually wrote the bass string parts on a bass guitar <laughs> no way yeah and then transcribed it over to bass strings so it in a way it is symphonic heavy metal <laughs> it is yeah because i'm i'm a metal head at heart i grew up with that stuff so there's always a, a piece of that in my <laughs> action scores and and these types of movies actually lend themselves to that uh you know from being a fan of the films that the fabric of the scores there's a gothic industrial yeah. darkness in, in the music and i've always gravitated towards that I, I like that stuff and i've liked it since i was a kid so um it was really fun to be able to think of the music in that in that way mm. to, to think like okay i'm standing here playing a bass guitar <laughs> i'm in a metal band and and quick record this and then go back to the the string parts and and use that as the basis the rhythmic basis for what was was layered on top of it yeah oh that's fantastic i mean me personally i am also a metalhead so when i'm listening to this score i'm just thinking man i bet this would sound epic at the top of a mountain with you know kind of the winds <laughs> howling it's it's that it's that that's the kind of score like if i'm because i listen to a lot of soundtrack music in my work for lakeshore and in just my personal life because yeah. i like film music you know there are certain scores that i will gravitate to more and when I was growing up, the kind of scores I was listening to was the, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams. These are these big, sure. big epic scores. And we still have those now, but they're scores like yours, these big, powerful, meaty, you know, you can really, you can literally, for lack of a better term, sink your teeth because it's a vampire <laughs> movie into these scores. Right. And there's so much like life and longevity in listening to this music. And I, I'm... I'm so thrilled to hear that you actually you're a metal guy too because that's that is literally the first thing I got from listening to the album. That's cool. I'm I'm glad it carried over. It's it was a really fun process to to write the music that way. It's when I do heavy action music like that, it's I like to work from a perspective of, you know, strong rhythmic stuff and I like I always go back to the metal side of it or the rock and roll side of it and try to bring that to the orchestra because there's an energy in that music that you can't really get anywhere else so it it it's not really a problem but the thing to solve is to how to transfer that energy uh that cool heavy energy into the orchestra and, and make the two work together yeah and when it does work it's really cool it becomes extra super big and <laughs> extra super heavy and it's something that's permeated the musical culture of film and music trailer or not music trailer film trailers especially in the last few years but people are getting better at it i think it's cool it's it's just uh it shows more of a crossover between um two musical cultures that's that's coming together in a, in a in a cool and interesting way yeah absolutely we are seeing more um more musicians from bands entering into the soundtrack world as well now. You know, there's, there yep. isn't, 
as time progresses and technology becomes uh, technology progresses and becomes easier to use, we are seeing less sort of segregation between musicians and composers, and and people are doing different things and trying different things. And I've spoken to composers who are, you know, they're also going out doing live shows and they're working with bands. So it, it it's becoming a smaller. Uh, world in that sense but it's also for the benefit of everyone because now we're just getting some fantastic music yeah i completely agree uh, i'm an old school orchestra guy too i'm like you i i listen to john williams and alan silvestri and jerry mm. goldsmith people like that i love those scores i love melody i love the sound of a big orchestra i don't think that you can capture epic with a capital e <laughs> without an orchestra in a film it's just there's just something about it that it, even if you have tons of drums and guitars and all this stuff layered in or, or, or in there without the the broad base of the orchestra behind it to give it that oomph it, it, it that pushes it over the top of being like yes i'm on top of the mountain and <laughs> the winds are blowing and i have my sword <laughs> and yeah it's it's uh when it when it comes together it's it's really cool. That's it. I mean, an epic is the perfect word to describe the Underworld score. And I mean, even the the, the previous Underworld scores as well, you put them on and it's yeah. literally like, damn, you know, you do, like it does. They say that, you know, music has the ability to transport you places and listening to this stuff. It completely does that for me. You know, I, I, I saw the movie Underworld. I saw it um, a little while ago. I thought it was great. I love the entry into the series. There is nothing, like I said before, to you can't complain. Anytime there are werewolves and two different uh, groups of vampires <laughs> fighting, I mean, come on. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And one of the things that I genuinely loved about the score for Blood Wars was you have these three factions in the films. You have Selene, the Death Dealer, you have the mm -hmm. Nordic vampires, and then you have the Lycans. And right. listening to the score, it does seem to me like you not create three separate scores but there were definitely there were three different angles going yes. towards the same place i mean that's what i get from listening to it was that something you had in mind to uh musically paint the landscape for the three separate entities uh yes i i'm really happy that you you got that because <laughs> that's what i was trying to do going in uh definitely there's a uh, it's the way you delineated it exactly between Celine, the the lichens, and the vampires. The there's a or, or the the Nordic vampires. Sorry, the that was probably the hardest part of the the score was trying to figure out what to do with the Nordic coven mm. because it was such a radical departure from the vampires, the way they're presented in earlier in the series. The the music I used for the the vampires, the traditional, what I call the traditional vampires, the ones that are you would associate more with the earlier films, it's sort of this heavy gothic string movement, lots of low strings and brass, and mm -hmm. it's very, uh, it's 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 very old school actually in terms of how it moves and plays and and how it's structured harmonically. But for the the Nordic Coven, everybody involved, the director, the producers, the music editor, we, we all talked about it. It's like, how can we delineate this from what, what has come before? They're in this place where they're, they're completely isolated. They, they live this monastic, almost, you could almost call it peaceful life yeah. compared to what the other vampires live. And 
it's cold and it it's just completely alien to anything that's been in the series prior so i experimented with a lot of different instruments that were indigenous to the the sort of the celtic tradition or the nordic tradition those that area of the world and iceland and finland and norway and and just went through a bunch of different instruments and found that a lot of the traditional instruments are very folkish sounding so they didn't quite fit they're really simple instruments like zithers and yeah. and one instrument in particular called the nickel harpa that's um very common in that type of music it's it's a really interesting instrument it's bowed and it has these wooden uh buttons for for selecting pitch when you're playing it and it's it's kind of this complicated older mechanical sounding instrument it has a really interesting sound but it didn't fit into the fabric of what underworld what people associate as being underworld quote wow. unquote it was a little too folky it was a little too uh far removed from that heavy industrial quasi-industrial kind of thing that people are used to hearing so I had to abandon a lot of that sound because I didn't want to just take a sound that was considered a classic Nordic sound and, and manipulate it so much that it wasn't that sound anymore. No, it was yeah. something else. So uh, in digging a little deeper, I, I came across, there's one, the, the only group of instruments left in that part of the world that were sort of ubiquitous that seemed to fit were the family of flutes, so all different kinds of flutes uh, from just really simple open hold flutes like recorders to think more advanced flutes that had um, in, in different types of ways of manipulating the pitch, that kind of thing, um, made of metal, wood, all different kinds of materials. And I looked around for different ones and took those sounds. And that that's the flute is a kind of sound where you can manipulate it and eat up or down, backwards, forwards, and people still get it as a flute yeah. or a, a woodwind kind of sound or a wind yeah. kind of sound. So I found some of these flutes and combined the sounds together in a very low register in, in what I call supernaturally low, uh, way, way below the, the natural register of the instruments and used those as the melodic signature of the, the Nordic coven because it was a, uh, the flutes are an instrument that are very common in the part of the world they're supposed to be sitting in but it's mm -hmm. it's a the sound of the flutes themselves of the winds are very odd they're yeah. they're specific to that thing the nordic coven they're most of them are set in like i said in in compasses that are extremely low for wood instruments and and some of them i i program them down into places where they couldn't actually be played they were so low right. but it, it it left this really airy, weird, mysterious sound that is only used when they're on screen. Yeah. And it's, that was particular to them. It's pretty, I mean, one of the things, I mean, it, it sounds, it almost sounds funny saying it because they are vampires, but there, there's an almost an ethereal quality to the Nordic coven. They don't, Very much. they don't look like vampires. They look like, uh, they look like Scandinavians, you know, that's, that's what they look yeah. like in the film. It's they, they definitely have the, the way the film is structured is there are definitely 
you're seeing two sides of the coin. When you're looking at Celine, the death dealer, you know, she's primarily, we always see her, it's dark, she's wearing black. And then you look at the Nordic clan and everything's bright. You know, there's white everywhere. And you right. hear this beautiful, like ethereal noise and these tones. And it just, it does give it, it does lend to what you're looking at on the screen. And it's to- it totally comes across when listening to it as well, because obviously I've listened to the score many, many times. I've only seen the film once. It's, it's, it's much easier and cost-effective to listen to the score, um, you know, a, a home kind of a thing than, than keep going to the movies to see the, uh, to see the film. So listening to it, I definitely got that. Hmm. I wonder if there was a purposeful, uh, direction here. You know, I wonder if there was a set goal to make the three different entities, you know, become prevalent in the score. So I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased I got to ask you that question because it's been kind of bugging me since I first saw the film. Um, well, you're, you're spot on. That's exactly <laughs> the thing. I didn't mention the Lycans. The, the approach there was since they have a new leader, Marius, mm. uh, who's, he, he comes off as, is more of like a general leading his troops. Yeah. It's, it's very militaristic. So when, when he's on screen and when his people, his, his Lycan army is on screen, the music is, takes on a, a heavy militaristic tone. It's very chunky and very rhythmic and, and it's always pressing forward like this. I wanted to create this sense of these two factions are inevitably going to clash in, in a way that, in a, on a scale that hasn't happened up to this point hmm. and that it was easy to just i'm trying to find the right words <laughs> uh, just let the music kind of flow behind him because he's he's this force that's constantly moving forward in the movie and, and the music reflects that in a in, yeah. but a really distinct military vibe to it yeah and without giving any spoilers away about the film i mean marius um he is definitely I'm not going to say he's the villain of the piece because once you get to know the character and you find out his story, um, he almost becomes sympathetic in a way towards the latter part of the film. And I feel like the music did a very good job of representing his journey through the film as much as it did with Celine and the Nordics as well, because there are points where you can close your, like for me, the mark of a good film is sorry. The mark of a good score I've often said is the score that you don't recognize. And of Mm -hmm. course, when a score is big and epic, it's hard to not recognize it because it's it's Right. right there, but there are parts in the underworld film where you can, close your eyes listen to the score and know exactly what's happening thanks it's it's interesting to write music for that kind of narrative Hmm. because in a in a i don't want to call it a horror film i mean there are elements of horror in it there's elements of sci-fi there's elements of fantasy there's elements of drama it kind of covers everything and what's fun about writing a score like for a movie like that is you can let the music create its own narrative and it helps add to the whole, that whole tapestry of that fantasy world, that this sort of otherworldly place and, and set of characters and this whole uh, group of ideas and people and just this entity that I call underworld. It's it's fun to write for that because you can do things with the music melodically and, and using motives and themes and things like that that you can't necessarily get away with in other movies. And 
it it makes the score more meaty that way in terms of being able to convey what the storyline is doing without even the film being being there absolutely it's, yeah it's very it's, it's it's one of those things it's like it must be super fun to work on one of these films you know from, from the actor's point of views i'm sure it's fun to be flying through the air and shooting <laughs> guns and you know waving knives around and things like oh today i'm going to be a werewolf that must be fantastic but it, i mean composing one of these films i can imagine is quite challenging because obviously this is the sixth installment we've had some fantastic music before but where this entry sits in the uh in the underworld canon for me it's like i love blood wars i would highly recommend blood wars to everybody out there because it is such we said epic a lot but epic epic is the exact word there should just be epic on the album cover in huge letters <laughs> describing it because that's that's exactly what the record is so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm a huge fan and i'm know that the people listening to this are also going to be really loving the score one thing i wanted to know michael when did you have you always been a fan of film music is that what initially drew you to composition being a fan or were you you know being a metal guy were you you know was the band route something you initially went down i i definitely started on the band the band bandwagon uh <laughs> that's that's where i started uh playing in a lot of different bands of all different kinds uh, in addition to that, I was a fan of film music. I watched, I was a movie buff as a kid and watched a lot of movies and took an interest in the music and collected soundtracks. And I, on both sides, was listening to a lot of different kinds of pop music, specifically hard rock, heavy metal, a lot of industrial stuff that I, at that time, that I could get my hands on because it wasn't easily available in the States yet. A lot of what I was listening to was, was coming from Europe. And it it uh, it was one of those things where when the the band thing was sort of I don't know I don't want to say getting old it was just getting hard because I had to work and things hard to keep the band going and stuff their life gets in the way and if you want to keep doing that and you have to completely devote yourself to it and I didn't know if being that that sort of nomadic existence of being in a band and touring and all that was really for me. Mm. So uh, I started, I got, I guess what you could call a regular job, but I was moonlighting, writing TV commercials and oh. jingles and things like that. And that's where the whole idea of scoring a picture started for me. Right. And it evolved from there into doing some short films. And I was living in Minneapolis at the time. Uh, doing some independent features that were coming out of Minneapolis and, and learning that I really like this this combination of being able to write music of all different kinds because you're constantly having to change genres and, and styles when you're doing music for picture to, based on what the job is, hmm. combining that with being able to watch movies and, <laughs> and, and movies and have all these different people coming at you who are from the music side and from the the film side and and it grew from there uh it eventually led to some bigger jobs and and forming some relationships in los angeles and i i hit a wall in in minnesota where people said if you want to do this for a living you have to move uh you have to move to los angeles so that's what i did <laughs> and it's been it's been steadily growing ever since but I, I never went to music school. Uh, my degree is in journalism. I learned everything on my own. I'm self-taught. Wow. And a big part of 
where my voice comes from as a composer is that I'm super curious about what is always what is new in in film music or in music in general. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really curious about technology and really curious about music as how it's structured, like the fabric of it. When I listen to music, I love to just pick it apart in my head. And right. I find the structural aspect of it really fascinating. So it's all, for me, it was putting these sort of different erector sets together into building one new hybrid building. How can I put all these things together and turn that into score material? And I've been trying to evolve that for years, but I feel equally comfortable working in a totally acoustic environment with just an orchestra uh, or working in a completely electronic environment or like band environment, if you want to call it that. Yeah. You know, either just using all synthesizers and, and samples and things like that, or just drums, bass and guitar or, or an orchestra or all three together. It doesn't, yeah. I've just been, as I've gone along, I've just tried to find different ways to, to smush all that stuff together and <laughs> try to keep keep it interesting, keep it fresh, and see where it's moving forward. Yeah, I mean, whatever you're doing, it's working. I mean, I've been I've been Thanks. listening to your your music for a long time, and I have to say, um, my bloody Valentine 3D. Now that that <laughs> that movie is a fun movie. You know, the original My Bloody yeah. Valentine. It's it's a it's considered a classic horror film, I guess. I think it's okay. You know, I don't. I like the original film, but the 3D yeah. version I think is freaking awesome. I I love that flick in 3D, and Thanks. your score for it, dude. That that thing is incredible. Like when I first heard that, I was like, "Who is this guy? This guy is brilliant." <laughs> I got like one day I'm going to end up talking to this guy, and you know, since then I've definitely uh, heard a progression and you know differences because you've done some genre work, but nothing. Nothing feels like you're ever repeating yourself. That's, you know, um, one of the things that I wonder is, do you approach each score, like when you have an idea in your head, if you're working on Underworld and you're like, oh, okay, well, so this is what the basic premise is. Is there a go-to instrument for you? Do you sit down, you know, you pick out some things like guitar, maybe it's a piano, or is it literally, if the melody hits you in your head, you'll just grab whatever instrument is close? It depends on the project. I always have this period right after I get a job that I call mad scientist mode, <laughs> where I sit down and, and go, I'll play with the different sounds with guitars and and synthesizers and, and do research on instruments, acoustic instruments, do some acoustic instrument recording, um, dig for samples, do some programming, whatever. Everything is open, is fair game. Mm -hmm. I, I don't limit myself to any one thing. And ultimately, that process reveals something for each particular score that's going to become the cornerstone of that particular work. Yeah. And that process has always been really effective for me. I, I don't really, there's no rigidity, I guess, in how I approach any particular score, even with something like a template, I don't really have a, a set template going into a score. I have a very, very basic template that it's just for sketching ideas, but the template itself that becomes the score evolves as the score is being written. And I guess that's one way I can keep things from sounding the same, uh, it, but it makes for a lot more work too. Yeah. Even our 
orchestral scores, I go into my orchestral template and completely re-grind it for each movie. All, all the sounds change, the setup change, the routing, the routing changes, the mixing changes, everything. I, I've just sort of made that, that's part of my process now. And I know it makes, everybody says, you should just use a static template. <laughs> Well, then, I don't know, it's going to keep sounding the same every single time. So yeah. I know it's a lot of extra work, but that's okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> really I mean, whatever, like I said before, whatever it is you're doing, it is working because I am, I, the more and more I listen, the more and more I become a fan. And one of the recent scores, uh, you composed the score for the video game Bloodborne. Yeah. Which um, I have to, like, like that... <laughs> That game is seriously one of the most infuriating video game experiences. <laughs> that game is so incredibly hard, but yes, everything it... that From Software does is <laughs> made for the the most hardcore yeah. gamers. They're they the people who play Dark Souls and Bloodborne uh, are people who are proud of the fact that they have the stamina and the patience to work their way through those games yes. because they are merciless. Unfortunately, I, I, I am a video, I would consider myself a gamer, but right I, I also like not wanting to throw the remote control at the TV within <laughs> five minutes of playing the game. It's just like, oh my, like, I don't understand what's happening. But anyway, so Bloodborne, if, if you can make it through Bloodborne, my hat is off to you. But one of the things about Bloodborne I loved was the score. And it's just like, you attack, it seems to me like you approach the video game scores in as the same way someone would score a movie, which I know that probably sounds like a very simple concept, but scoring a video game, I can imagine, is tremendously different from scoring a film. It is, uh... But over time, it's become closer. Right. Um, Blood, Bloodborne was sort of a, a collective effort. There were there were a few composers on that game. I you know I did my chunk, and the other composers who work on it did their chunk. But everybody had their specific voices that they brought to it. What was interesting is that as the technology evolves with the consoles, uh, because even though games are on Steam and, and available in other places mm. the development takes place on the console because that's the meat of the market yeah it it's something where game developers are much more open now to these scores that are in some ways the scale is actually as big or bigger than a movie now yeah uh, they'll they'll pay for massive orchestras and big choirs and this music is is supercharged it and and heavy and huge and and it's just make it as awesome and big as you <laughs> can man and they're they're totally into that and that's become something that is more de facto in games now even than i think in films in terms of wanting this epic this big giant or orchestral uh, sound, or even if it's a, a rock score, like something like Doom, is as heavy and yeah. as, as and aggressive as possible, even more so than in movies. It, games have evolved incredibly fast and and become very sophisticated musically. There were really were no boundaries going into uh, Bloodborne in terms of scale. Uh, all they wanted was the developer was was very particular about the sound of that game and wanting it to be something that was both 
really dark and hellish, but elegant at the same time. Yeah. It's a, it was a very interesting way to go at the music. So it's my the stuff that I did. It was all based on this idea of very cl classical music, very a very classical classic music structure for orchestral music, and having it become very unhinged. Yeah. So it had this insane hellish quality to it. The piece would start out feeling um, almost like a concert piece. And then as it evolves, it would just completely become unscrewed. Yes. Just total, total crazy. I called it satanic opera. It was just, <laughs> you know, out of control. And that was okay. The most, probably the most sophisticated piano part I've ever written in my life is in one of those tracks for the Mikolash boss. It was incredibly hard to write. It's like full on concert piano. Mm. Um, that was really different. It was really cool. It's one of the reasons why I'm loving the, most of the games I play, but not the ones that infuriate me greatly. Um, <laughs> the, the, the ones, <laughs> the ones that I can actually manage to play and finish because I am the kind of gamer that does like to play the game from start to finish. Yeah. And, you know, the, ever since video games went from cartridges to discs, you were right. The, the music was the first thing that you really, for me, the music was the first thing you really kind of noticed how different it was and how fresh and vibrant. And Satanic Opera is a, is a perfect description of Bloodborne because it's, I, I equate the music to, you know, you kind of, when you walk into a haunted house, when you first walk in, nothing's really that scary. But you take a few more footsteps and then you realize something isn't quite right. And then you take right. a few more and a few more. And then by the end of it, you are in the middle of hell. And that's kind of what the music was like for me. So I was, you know, a big, big fan of that. So I was like, hmm, Great. I need to talk to this guy. Like there's been a few points where I've come up and I'm like, I need to talk to that guy. So thank you to yeah. Lakeshore for, uh, for enabling me to, uh, to chat to you today. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about Underworld. Um, if we okay. can, when did you become part of the Underworld project? Was the film in production, or were you brought in at the script level? Oh, it was way into production. Um, I mean, they were already done with the director's cut and were working on visual effects and had tempt the movie. They had they already had you know scores stuff that was in there and and ideas about what they wanted for the music and and it, it was pretty far along so i had to sit down in a couple of meetings and just talk through what they were trying to achieve in this movie that felt like an evolution of the music but also didn't stray from what the underworld universe is right and not give the music a, a fresh perspective but at the same time don't throw off audiences so much that it doesn't feel like an underworld film per se gotcha that made it that that made it especially challenging but fun too uh because i had a certain level of i get this when i uh, when i walked into the the meetings because i'd seen the films i i had a, a basic fundamental understanding of what the vibe of the 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 underworld universe was yeah. and so the it was very exciting to think, wow, I get to put my spin on this and figure out what it is that I can bring to the table that's going to that's going to move this forward. That's going to continue to evolve 
this whole thing that that Sony and Screen Gems have created with this. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty late. It was pretty late in the game. I had time. I mean, I had a fair amount of time to work on it. Oh, but you did, at, right? Okay. At the same time, it was it was a lot of music. Yeah. Uh, the thing, the main thing about genre films, especially movies like this, that sort of cross all of the classic genres, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, action, all that, there's a, a large volume of music, just plain old lots of minutes. And when you're trying to come up with themes and things, you'll, you'll, this happens to any composer who's working in this style of film, you'll have a 90 minute film and, and at the end of the day, find that you've written a hundred something minutes of music and, and then what they don't want is paired away and you end up with the score that's in the film. But often you may write two or three times as many minutes as are actually in the movie. It's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's also a very challenging thing to keep the music alive in the movie. Cause sometimes you'll have stretches where the music goes on for 20 minutes without stopping. Mm -hmm. And it, it's covering all these different, points you you've got dialogue and action and transition and other plot points that you need to, to hit and so the music has to follow along with all that and not get stale that's that's hard yeah yeah i can imagine one, one feel just bleed right into the next and <laughs> to use the word bleed I, <laughs> unintended but it's you have to think of it in pieces yeah okay, this piece of music is going to address this dialogue scene, which leads right into this action scene, which you know, it's like I explained before, but uh, there's a whole process of mapping it out and, and making it all work as one complete thought that is, is tough, but it, it's very rewarding when it works. I can imagine. Was it kind of like, um, was it a collaborative effort between yourself and, and the filmmakers? Would you, would you play them things and then they would say yes or no, or were you kind of largely left to just do what it is you do? Oh, it was very collaborative. There, every, there was tons of, of feedback and getting melodies and, and ideas. Things were, were changing because when you work on a film that's heavily visual effects, there's a lot of visual effects. Uh, scenes can change as the effects evolve in terms of how the, the action plays out, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so hit points and, and how, the, how to drive the scene and tempo changes, things like that, how to make it dynamic as possible evolves over time as the effects evolve. And, and the cut, uh, nowadays in film, because everything's digital, the cut is always evolving. So something that may have been scored very tightly to picture one day, four days later, you might get another round of that and everything's completely changed. So there's always a lot of talk about, okay, we need to take this idea and move it to this point and this this should be more of an emotional moment and this should the transition here should maybe ramp up more there's always that kind of talk constantly because the film is in flux and it's it actually helps me to get feedback from people as quickly as possible so i can keep going down the the road that they want me to go down the only thing that was sort of set in stone from the beginning was people wanted the core of the score to be this it's it's heavy it's dark it's like low strings and brass yeah. it was built it was built on that uh, it's a rare rare and fun opportunity to get to write a score where you can use 
eight horns. In some <laughs> cases, in some cases, they're layered up to twelve, just to get this super fat, big, giant sound. It's the same with the the orchestra. It was uh, for low strings. It was actually a very large string section, and that was the the bedrock of the score. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was very collaborative for oh, sure. I like awesome. that. Yeah, no, I mean, I can imagine, I can imagine that it's kind of fun for a composer when you're working from, say, a script, and there's nothing, you you literally, you watch them, you read the script, and you watch the movie in your head, imagining what would happen. But I can also imagine that it's fun seeing all the action happening on the screen and thinking, hmm, well, when this happens here, maybe this would be cool. And then, you know, going through the process that way. So I'm fascinated by how composers work. It's it's a world I literally I have no clue. I'm a fan, but that's as far as it goes. Um, have you had the opportunity to see the film in a theater yet with uh, with an audience? With an audience, no. Right. I have. Have I seen it in a theater? Yes, but uh, not with an audience. The it's always so interesting. Again, when you're doing a visual effects type of movie. Uh, to see the final picture yeah because you never get to really see it <laughs> as a composer there's a point where you have to sign off and say okay i'm done because of there's logistical stuff that has to be done especially when you're dealing with 3d they have to have time to do conversions and and do all the different versions for different territories around the world do all the voice dubbing that kind of stuff so the music stops at a certain point and the, there are scenes in the movie effects wise that may at that point be yet as of yet unfinished. So you finally get to see the movie, uh, finished and, and it's like watching the movie from scratch all over again. Cause you see all this stuff that people had talked about for months. We're going to have this here. This is going to happen here. You're going to see blood flying here. You're going to see these guns going off here. And, up to that point, it may have been a, an animation or something, and then you finally see it completely fleshed out, and it's really, it's really thrilling, and it's always really surprising. It, it's yeah, it's like seeing the movie for the first time. That's one of the the most fun things of working on films that have a lot of visual effects is yeah. you never know what you're going to get at the very end. Yeah, and the end, like the the lichens themselves look super badass in this movie, and each movie they evolve and become even more beastly they you know they become scare even scarier each iteration of the the series it's really cool yeah well if, if from my point of view all i can say is the next available opportunity you get to watch underworld with a crowd go and do it because those people are a fun group of people to go and watch a movie with because shouting it's almost like being at a concert you know people are laughing yeah. and jumping and shouting and it's okay. like this this is why I come to the theater to watch a movie like this. You know, you really do get that experience that you can't get anywhere else. And Underworld right. Blood Wars really does deliver on that front. Cool. No, I'm, I'm super thrilled to have been involved. I, I That was a dream gig for me. Coming out of that meeting, knowing I had that job, I was, you know, doing the happy dance in the parking lot. It was awesome. Awesome. It's, that's, that's so cool to hear. And Michael, thank you for giving up uh, yeah, some time today to talk to me about Underworld Blood Wars. It's been such a blast talking to you. Genuinely, I've waited a long, long time to make it happen. Uh, oh, and thank yeah, you, man. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I'm I'm always stuck in my little hut here, so I don't get out much. I just <laughs> stuck 
in this little dark room writing music all the time. So the chance to talk to someone like you is is really refreshing and wonderful. And I'm, I'm glad that you like the music and it gives me the impetus to keep going. And I hope I can talk to you again in the future. I really appreciate it. I would love that very much. And I, I will definitely make sure that happens. score for Underworld Blood Wars is available now through Lakeshore Records.